Listen, if somebody came along, sort of a good fairy type, not, not like Perez Hilton, but the, the, more like the once upon a time good fairy type, came along and said, I'll grant you this wish, and, and, the, and the wish was, or, or actually, take it or leave it. Do you want to have a great life? Do you want to have a joyful, abundant life? And, and he says, or I guess if it's a good fairy, let's just say she, she says, I'll do this for you. Think about this for a moment. Don't answer it out loud, but think about it. What would that look like? What would that look like? I mean, they said, I'll, I'll give you joy. I'll give you happiness. I'm just asking, what does that look like? But he seems to have a different definition of it. I think some of you would look for add-ons, if I'm right. I'm betting I'm right on this. Some of you would say, well, give me youth. Make me young again. Give me good looks. Make me better looking. Make me rich. Give me, make me wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Let there be light, they said, and there it was. But... I think a lot of happiness, maybe even most of it, gang, I'm referring not so much to what we think we want to add on to the outside and how we want to just grab a hold of things that prop us up and make us maybe look better. I don't think that's the key. I really don't. And I know God's Word doesn't teach that that's the key. So think about it a different way now. What would it take to make you happy and joyful? What would it take to be removed? I mean, what would you like to see, you know, if you, were, if you picture yourself happy and joyful, what would have to leave your life? What would have to exit your life. That's what we're going to talk about today because, see, something happens that's the greatest decision of your life, and that's a little bit misleading because um, it's not really your decision when you get saved. It's really God that's hunting after you, that God's seeking after you, and He calls you, and you respond to something that He's done. But you do have to decide to put your faith in Him, and when you do that, that changes your life, or it should. And I, and I don't want to show of hands right here, but I want you to think, how many Christians have you seen where you look at it and they'll say, and they'll, they'll adapt, adopt the label of Christian and you look at their life and you spend time with them and you go, you're not different. I mean, there's nothing different about your life. And, I mean, and Pastor Rob, I mean, he talks about impact and change and transformation and uses all these dramatic words, but I don't even know if my life is that different. So when you refer to things taken away, chiseled away, that would make you happy or joyful. Maybe you're thinking about this. Take away my pain, right? If I didn't have any pain, I'd be happy. Obviously, it's hard to be happy when you're in pain. How many of you have ever had a root canal? Any root canal people? Were you happy at that moment? Because I've had two, and it, I just wasn't. wasn't happy. How many of you are thrilled when you're crying? I know I'm talking about engagement ring, you know, bachelorette crying. I'm talking about tears. I mean, that's the opposite. Or when you're going through trials, or when you're sick. Or, you know, when you're battling something. That's the opposite. So one way to be happy and joyful is not adding things, but having things chiseled away or taken out of our lives so that we can reveal the new us. How can we have joy and happiness if all those things are still there? Well, the Bible tells us one day God will remove those things. This is one of the best descriptors I see in Scripture about a day of happiness and joy. It's in Revelation 21, 4 through 5. Listen carefully. He, Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes on that day. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So this is talking about a removal time. He who, has seated on, he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And that's the title of the message today, all things new. Because that's what's supposed to happen when somebody puts their trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says they're a new creature. That's not Pastor Rob saying that. The Bible says that. You're not the same creature. You're not the same, the same person anymore. You're completely new. Not improved. I mean, that's done away with. In fact, here's where Paul said it. If you want to write this down, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not a fresh and improved, but new. The old is what? Passed away. Gone. Behold, the new has come. I like way, I think as the Living Bible puts it, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person on the inside. Becomes a brand new person on the inside. So I want you to think about this next question in light of what I just said. Just think about it. Don't answer it. This is a little different than the fairy godmother thing I had before, but when someone becomes a Christian, what happens? Do not answer it. Think about it. I'm going to give you an awkward pause to think about it. When someone becomes a Christian, what exactly happens? Stop. Think.
give you a little help. Well, somebody becomes a Christian, they, uh, they join a church. No, I'm not talking about that. When somebody becomes a Christian, then they take communion. I mean, they might, but I'm not talking about that. Well, they take the new members class for sure. No. They tithe. That's what you're really after. No, I'm actually not. They become more religious for sure. No. They serve. They join a small group. No, no. It's none of those things. Those things may appear, but that's not what happens. Here's what really needs to happen. I'm going to just say this over and over again. It's going to feel like a beating, and the beatings will continue until we get it. What really happens, what really needs to happen is they become a brand new person on the inside, not the fresh and improved you, not retrofitted spiritually. Hey, let's add these things and prop them up and it looks, not at all. That's done away. There's a new you. That's what's got to happen on the inside. That's real key. I'm going to keep saying on the inside, on the inside. Because don't you think when people become Christians that we, store, we sort of look at outside things and we judge whether they're really changed. And that's, that's a problem. So we look at them and we go, this guy's got to be more religious, right? Well, I don't see him going to church much. Maybe they didn't change. Well, this guy should be not using that language anymore. This guy shouldn't be going, this gal shouldn't be going to that place anymore. I want to see him stop going there. And so well, we're looking at a lot of outside things. Certainly they wouldn't overeat. Certainly they wouldn't drink so much. Certainly, and we're looking at maybe even our own list of rules, right? and regulations, and we're applying it to them or applying it to ourselves and saying, when this list is adhered to or when these things are not done anymore, that's what I'm looking for. But gang, the change takes place on the inside, and if it doesn't, nothing you do on the outside is going to make any difference. So actually, we have a real problem here. My concern is that for a whole lot of Christians, their spiritual experience is just things that have taken place externally. Am I right? For a lot of Christians, especially in America, it's just stuff that's taken place out there that they've propped up, that they've retrofitted. Nothing's happened internally. Now, I know you want proof, so here it is. Nearly 80% of people, it used to be 85, so I think it's good news that this is going down, would, would label themselves Christians in this country. It used to be 85, now it's, now it's about 79, 80%. Check this out. Only 7% of those 80% that say they're Christians would say that because of their Christianity, their life has changed at all. That's kind of low, isn't it? Only 7% of those in America that say, I am a Christian, would say it's had any impact on their life at all. You're a Christian. Yes. Has it changed your life? Not really. Is anything different than the way you were? Not really. It's about the same. Indicating that nothing's happened on the inside. And that's because their focus is the wrong focus. Real Christianity is when a person becomes a brand new person on the inside. It's not the same anymore. It's not even close. It's not one of those things where you go, well, it's kind of change. It's dramatic. Today I want to show you how real change can take place in your life because we have these big days at Impact. And last week, you know, being Easter, Easter, Christmas, they're huge. It's a time when you're supposed to. As a pastor, I'm supposed to cast the net out there and bring it out. I'm supposed to Plant the seed out there and, and, and see what God does as he brings growth and harvest. And there's a change. And I'll bring this up several times. And there were 90 people that recommitted their lives. I'm going to talk about that before. And there were 44 people that made a first-time decision for Jesus Christ. Well, that's a lot of people. And most of them are on spring break this week. But So you'll have to get this podcast to them. I wanted to make sure, and, and this is a very important podcast to listen to later, because I want to make sure that you make the right decision right now Imagine if you're, you're changed and, and you have, here's the path to a great adventure and, and, and you have all the tools you need to make that journey, but somebody gets you turned around and you start going the wrong way the rest of your life. Well, then you're never going to realize it because it's that way and you're facing this way. So there is an about face that we make the wrong way when we become believers. Most of us make, and it's critical that we not do that. So I want to show you how real change can take place in your life on the inside. You don't need a resolution. Man, uh, New Year's resolutions don't work. Does anybody not know that? Maybe if you're eight or so and you haven't made them, you don't know that yet, but they don't work. In fact, studies have been done year in and year out for, for decades on this thing. Do you know when 85% of the people will drop it? There's a certain date by which 85% of the people that made New Year's resolutions are not doing them anymore. They're gone, done, finished. You'll want to listen. If you were, anybody work out here, you know, at the Y or anything? 
Yeah, remember getting honesty. It's like five people. But all hands would have gone up before I said the New Year's thing. But if you, want, if you don't want to go and it's real crowded, just wait till Valentine's Day. 85% of New Year's re resolutions that are made are gone by Valentine's Day. They don't even work for, for much more than a month, month and a half. Just wait, wait a month, month and a half, go back to the gym, you'll not wait in line for any piece of equipment anymore. They're all gone. All the resolutions are gone. So you don't need a resolution. You really need a revolution inside. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You are going to learn this morning about turning over a new life. Now, if you've tried it the other way, and I have, I mean, because I, I just think it's natural. Listen, when the difference between Christianity and every other religion on the face of the earth, every other one, whether it's a little upcoming cult or a full-blown worldwide religion, there's a difference between Christianity and all the rest. And that difference is that every other religion and cult and approach to God or whatever they call God says, I've got to do something for God to notice me, right? It could be I need to bow down to the east, you know, six times a day. It could be I need to follow the eightfold path to Buddha. It could be that I need to please all the millions of gods of Hinduism. And no matter what it is, you have to do something to gain God's attention and to please God. And yet with Christianity, there's nothing you can do. It's not about what you do, it's, what a, it's about what Christ has already done. So that's the big difference that separates it all. So it's natural for us, because that's the way we think God should be when we create God in our own image, which if you're not following the, you know, the true Christianity, if you're not following Jesus, then you're following a false God. Let me just say it. And so a false God, you know, we think we need to do things, so if you find Christ and he begins to change you and transform you from the inside, you know what you're going to be tempted to do? You're going to be tempted to want to maintain this beginning change in your heart by doing things to earn it. Saying that's an incredible gift, but certainly I didn't deserve it. Here's good news. No, you didn't. You did not deserve it. But you can't earn it either. After it's already done, you can't go back and go, well, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to make sure that I was worthy of that. You aren't. You aren't. I'm not. And you'll never be worthy, but you are forgiven. That's a subtle little thing. You don't get this right, and you're going to keep going the wrong way on this abundant life and this journey. So again, if you've tried it the other way, it kind of looks like the real way, but it's not the real way. In fact, just for fun, I'm going to give you three different ways you can express this sort of change. Uh, you can approach life in these three ways or the right way. First of all, you can change from the outside in. You can do that. And a lot of people do this first one. They say, I'm going to change my habits. I'm going to change my schedule. I'm going to change how I spend money. I'm going to stop eating at Krispy Kreme donuts. It's the I'm going to change some things and it's going to change me approach. Okay? I think, I think it's probably of, of all the ones that I'm going to share, even though they're similar, this is probably the most popular one. I'm going to change some things I do and it's going to change me. It's going to change me. But it doesn't work. Again, remember? 85% of New Year's resolutions that are really outside things don't even last till Valentine's Day. So it's better to change from the inside out. Two different approaches. Who here wants, look up here a minute. This is kind of a, this sounds like a cheesy TV preacher offer and I promise you it's not. I, I promise you it's not, but it's a real offer, and I know some of you are going to hear this, and you're just going to, I mean, it sounds like an infomercial, but, but God really offers this. So I'm just curious, and, and if you don't raise your hand, it would be sad. Here it is. Who here would really like, I know we're a few months into it, but who here would really like 2013 to be the best year of your life? I, I'm, a, I'm there. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like 2013 to be the best year of your life? Who wouldn't? I mean, there's a couple of you didn't raise your hand. You're like, I'm holding out for 2014. Okay, well, <laughs> right, whatever. But most of you want 2013, the best year of your life. What if I told you, I promise you, I absolutely guarantee you, it can. I, I know it's very, very simple. I promise you, I'm not, I'm not kidding or anything. I've seen this in my life. I've also seen years where I didn't do what I'm about to tell you and struggle. Just kind of flatlined with my relationship with God. So I'm gonna tell you, you want to have the best year of your life? This could be the best year of your life. And I, man, you need to write this down because I'll probably say this for years. It's just so true. It's so important. This can be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. 
Let me say it again. Think about it. This can be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. And you'll hear that many different ways this morning. It can, this can be the, the, the year of your life where you change most of those things you want to change if you change from the inside. And that's also how you make it the best year of your life spiritually, which will make it the best year of your life in every way. So practically, let me say this in a practical way. Don't start with your schedule. Start with God. I mean, don't start with your diet. Start with God. Don't start with these outside things. Start with God on the inside. Now again, last week, 44 people bent the knee to Jesus Christ. First time salvations, and 90 people recommitted their lives. Let me talk mostly about the people if you, if you, if you first time decision, it was, a, it was a complete transformation that started on the inside, but you can derail that. If you recommitted your life, think about it this way. You then realigned your thinking again from, you know, this path going this way when that's the way to abundant life and you stop, man, I've been, I've been, this is why my life's been so flat. I'm walking away from God. What you really did was you said, I'm, I'm renewing my commitment. I'm going to get back on this path and walk towards you, God, closer to you. By the way, did you know that you know, people always say, well, I feel so far from God. And you've heard the cheesy little bumper sticker, little hallmark thing. If you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? But it's true. God's always close by. Anybody here like to scuba dive? Well, like four of you. I don't have you guys pegged. I've noticed that. What do you do? You've, every time I bring up something. No, we don't do that. No, we don't do that either. Not that either. So... What I can figure is you sit here. That's what, all right. So if you were to scuba dive, here's what you find out. I've, I've done liveaboards where you, you spearfish and all that, and, and there's one creature I've come in contact with. It's kind of the most eerie, bizarre creature under the sea, and it's not a shark. I mean, I've, I've scuba dived with eight-foot bull shark one time that was about as far as, as you are, James, from me, and, and I wasn't far enough. <laughs> I really wanted to be much further away. But it didn't seem that interested. I, I don't have a lot of meat on my bones, so I guess it wasn't that. But there's another creature that will always stay within about two to three feet of you, no matter what. He's always near. You scuba dive, if they're in the area and they find you, they're going to come up to here. And if you, you know, turn around and go, boo, it's not going to bother them. If you go, Bleh, they're just going to go like this. If you get closer, and then when you back away, they're going to be like here. And they just keep that. They're always near. You know what that is? A barracuda. I don't know if they're, they look brain dead. They look damaged. They look like an under-the-sea vampire to me with all their, you know. They're not scared, you know. It's because they got more teeth than me and they've filed all theirs to a nice little point and they know that. But if you, when we went swimming one time and, and diving, uh, spearfishing, there were about 50 of them just circling us. And so when we went looking for stuff, you know, I turned around, there's this big five, five and a half foot barracuda, huge. It looked a little bit deranged. And, I mean, he was freaking me out. I'm trying to get a snapper that I had hit, and I didn't hit it well, so it was just wounded, you know, a little bit. I was trying to finish him off. I know, it sounds cruel, but that was our dinner. So I'm looking back, and I knew I wanted that snapper, but so did he. You know, now, I, I tried to scare him off before they told me the same thing. I tried to put my spear, you know, at him, and he just did this. And then I went, okay, I'm going to get away. And he just kept coming. I'm like, freak, get away. So he's always near. And some of you are thinking about uh, God. God's always near, but then why do I feel far? Well, hey, Brian, stand up here a minute. So here, listen, Brian could always be near to me. Here's the real deal. It, no matter where I go, he could be like that barracuda, but in a good way. You know? And so he's real near, and no matter where I go, Brian's right here. And if I approach Brian, he's right here. And if I go away, Brian's right here. He's not scared. But I can, feel, I can be this close to Brian and still feel far away if I live my life like this, right? And I just turn my back to him and, and I don't see him there. He might as well be a million miles away because I'm not going to relate to him. That's the problem with God. You can sit down. Thanks, Brian. But that's the problem with God because we, we don't realize he's right there and he's seeking and pursuing us. But when you go this way and abundant life's that way, you're turning your back on him. If you turn your back on anyone and don't face them, you're not going to get close to them and you're going to begin to drift and feel far away. So think about the people that recommitted their lives to Jesus, a fresh start, realigning their lives, realizing that I'm trying to change things on the outside again. I'm realigning now. I've got to change my life from the inside. The outside doesn't work. The inside works. In fact, let me tell you what trying to change your life... And by the way, sometimes we, we feel bad because we think, man, our culture is so messed up. Why are we... 
Why are we struggling with, listen, this is an age-old problem. This is ever since Jesus died on the cross and rose again, people have been struggling with this. Look what Paul said to the church of Galatia, to the, to the believers there. He said, so Galatians 5.1, so Christ has truly set us free. That's what he did from the chains and the bondage of, of you know, trying to make yourself look good. Now, make sure that you stay free. Okay, those of you that recommitted your life, make sure that you stay that way. Because you can turn around and turn your back to God again and you're going to feel far again. And don't get tied up again, he says, in slavery to the law. So the solution is to remain on the inside. Paul says as much in verse 16 of the same chapter. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Now when you become a Christian, Jesus comes to live inside you. It's the Holy Spirit that comes to live inside you. Not outside you, near you, but inside you. Because if you let the Holy Spirit be your guide, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That's very, very key. All right, so that's one way of changing, outside, inside. Here's the next one. Doing something different or being someone different. I told you, these things are subtle. They don't seem that different. Now, I don't just need to change my activities. When I'm a believer, I don't just need to change my activities. Something has to happen inside me. Again, thinking about the 44 brand news and the 90. You're a brand new you. You're just realigning yourself on the inside instead of the outside. One more way of looking at this. Improving the old you or becoming a new you. All right, so that's kind of the world's way and God's way of looking at change. And I want to look at everything from the inside because that's how you can change for good. That's what I'm proposing today. My fear is that many people who are supposed Christians, I call them kinos. You guys know what a rhino is? I had to look this up the other day, and that's where I got the name for Christians, kinos. Who knows what a rhino is? Any Republicans here? Oh, you can admit it if you're a Republican. I won't, we're not filming it. Oh, yes, we are. Actually, sorry. Any Republicans? Just, just go ahead. You can admit it. Okay, well, I'm hoping that you're, you know, if you're a Republican, there's a type of Republican called a rhino. Do you know what that is? It makes true Republicans apparently pretty upset. A rhino is a Republican in name only. You learned something today. So what do you think a kino is? Rocket scientist. Christian in name only. And that's my, uh, that's my fear for so many Christians. But gang, because gang, how can 80% of people be labeling themselves as Christian in this country and our country be going the direction it's going? Unless they're Christian in name only. And that's it. All right, I think you... You all get that point. So let's talk about how real change happens now. Did you know that you take your Bible and nearly two-thirds of it is Old Testament, sometimes referred to as, as Old Covenant? And a relatively small chunk of it is when Jesus came in and is the New Testament. Well, if you hear what I'm about to say about the Old Testament, you might think it's, it's something you don't need to spend a lot of time in or it's something that's, that's irrelevant for today. But I want you to think about it this way. I just want you to know something kind of an experiment that God was doing with the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. You ready? Because you guys don't seem ready, are you? Is that what you look like when you're ready? Okay. God intentionally set up in the Old Testament a system that doesn't work. Isn't that wild? He intentionally set up a system that has no prayer of working. And he knew it from day one. And he let it go on for thousands of years knowing that this is just a band-aid. It doesn't work. It doesn't bring an ultimate solution. Now, why would he do that? So that all future generations, and we could see and appreciate what really does work. There's no permanent change that could possibly happen with a one-time event in the Old Testament. But it was pointing to something else. His plan was to show us, okay? Think about it this way. By letting people live this way for thousands of years, this old covenant shows us that nothing really changes things on the inside by simply changing things or doing things or following rules or regulations or religion on the outside. It doesn't really change things. It worked like this. People would sin and mess up in all kinds of ways and you could fix it, so to speak, by offering sacrifices of different animals. And the blood of the animals would, well, what does it say it does in the Old Testament? Not new, but old. What does it say 
over and over again that sacrificing the blood of animals did for the Israelites. It doesn't say that it removes them permanently, does it? Do you know what it says? It's, it's kind, of, kind of weird. Those sacrifices covered up. That's the term. Covered up your sins. Not removed them, but covered up. But what it was not able to do was remove the guilt and the shame and what we know is wrong about ourselves. It could do nothing for that. Only Christ could do that. So it covered up. When I was young, parents really tried to get me and my brother and sister to clean our rooms, and it worked pretty good for my brother and sister. But for me, I figured, up this whole, figured out this whole cover-up system, and I used it. And so I would take my clothes and dirty stuff, and I'd put them under my sheets and stuff of my bed. I see some teenagers smiling. Keep listening, you know, because it gets worse. You know, pretty soon, I, pop, I, know I put them under my bed, I put them under the covers, I'd also put them in the closet. Those are my secret places. Brilliant, right? But after a while, and you keep doing that, you know, it's going to be inspection time, we're going to look at your room. You know, my mom would come up and she'd be like, do you have a dead body <laughs> under, your, under your sheets? What is that? That doesn't look real good. The sheets are getting old. Mom, they're a little lumpy. Okay, and what's leaking from under your bed? And why can't you shut your closet door? Okay, but I couldn't do that because eventually you keep putting these, you can't cover it up anymore. Maybe this will make more sense. How many of you have dogs? Got pets? Dog lovers? All right. I knew I liked you. I knew there had to be something. How many of you have cats? All right, I'll pray for you because that's, I don't even know if prayer will help. That's, that's something wrong if you own cats. Cats, you don't really own cats. Cats own you. I don't know if you, I don't know if you really notice that. But if you have dogs, what would happen if, you know, you know, kids always say, give me a dog and I'll take care of it. <laughs> they won't. Where's my daughter? Where is she at? Where are you, Julian? She's working? Oh, I can say anything I want. She's back to working with the kids. She asked for a dog, Paws. And she will train Paws and she will train Paws to be good and sit and stay and everything. What, what would you say about Paws, Nathan? Paws is the Tasmanian devil. She's got nuclear energy and one, I mean, she's an explosion with hair. She's not trained really at all. I will feed her. I feed Paws all the time. And that's what happened. So what if Juliana said, actually, she does take care of the other dogs, like Strider, the demon dog that I brought up. Well, listen, what would happen if she, you know, a lot of times when dogs are puppies, you got to potty train them and all that stuff. What happens if they pee or worse in the house and you just go, we don't really want to clean that up. So I'll use the Rob Singleton method and I'll just cover it up. Just take a paper towel and put it right there and cover it up. Hey, people will know not to step there because for a couple of reasons. One, there's a paper towel on the floor. And two, if you get real close, you'll know after a while that there's something there. So let, I'll just cover it up. Hey, how many times are you going to do that? Oh, there's like 50 of them in the house now. Paper towels everywhere. And there's a smell coming. Well, that's what happens with our sin. After a while, it's just not going to work. We cover up our mess and our sin. And then you've got to go back and you've got to sacrifice more animals because it's covered and but it's never truly permanently removed and the guilt and the and the feelings we have with our sin in the old covenant is never gone now jesus came and brought the new covenant in the new testament and actually the book of hebrews goes a long way theologically into this discussion about the new covenant it's a difficult book it's tough for a lot of people, so I'm not going to go into it a lot. I'm going to give you a synopsis because it's a, it's a beautiful book for understanding the new covenant. Let me just break it down in simple terms. You see, God looked at the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and said, I don't really like, I don't really care for how that works. It's, you know, and, and it wasn't like something that, that just, he looked at one day and said, I thought that was going to work. He knew in the beginning, but after the time was fulfilled, he said, I don't like, there's a much better way. And that is discussed in Hebrews, if you want to turn there. If not, I'll read it for you. Chapter 10. And beginning with verse 16, I think it is, says, this is the covenant, talking about the new covenant, I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. And that time is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. After the time of the Old Testament, he says, I'm not going to just give them a set of commandments in this new covenant and a bunch of rules to follow and keep telling them, obey, obey, obey. That's the Old Covenant. In this new one, Instead, look at this, I will put my laws into their hearts. That's the new one. In other words, he's not going to tell you to do right. He's going to make you right. 
I know that it's like the things we're saying before, changing from the outside in or the inside out. You will go, I'm, I'm not sure I really even get the difference. I hope you heard it there. I'm not gonna tell you to do right. I'm gonna make you a new person. I'm gonna make you right so you can do anything right. You know, before you receive Christ as Savior, the Bible says you're dead. You're dead and your trespasses are sin. What can a dead person do? Nothing. First, you have to be made new. You have to be made alive. So let's keep going. I'll put my laws in their hearts. In other words, he's, he's not going to tell you. He's going to make you, right? And I will write them on their minds. Then he adds their sins and lawless acts. I'm not just going to cover over them so they're still there, but covered. I'm going to remove them and cleanse them. That's what's so special about the new one. I will remember them, in fact, no more. And where these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sins. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Christ, since he's invited you into this new life by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body or all the work that Jesus did. I'm trying to keep this simple. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus. Then he says, let us. Okay, here's what I want to do as we, as we go to the, the last kind of third of what I'm going to talk about today. <clears throat> There's four lettuces here. Four pieces of lettuce, let's call it here. And I'm not going to give you an outline, you know, a cute little man-made outline. I'm going to give you what the Bible says right here. If you want to change, there's four lettuces here that will help you change. Get these four lettuces and don't confuse them with things that you do because these things come from the inside. But get these and this is how you'll change. He says, let us. Let us first draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, we need to get close to him. We already talked about this. One of the best decisions, though, that you can make this year, I'll say it another way, is to get closer to God. You know, if you can say today, think about your life today. If you are not as close to God today as you were yesterday, then you need to get closer to God. Then you've wandered. Then you're far away. If you're not as close to God as you were last year, then you've wandered. You've drifted somehow. And if you want to have the best year of your life, you've got to have the best year of your life spiritually. And then it'll be the best in every other way. And the first thing you need to do is draw near to God. Now, this, this is great. Some of you go, oh, man, this is going to be a journey. I've drifted really, really far. How long is this going to take? Remember what we said? It's not going to take a journey. It's going to take this. He's right there. The journey couldn't be simpler, but it happens on the inside pretty quick if it's real on the inside. First thing is to draw near. When we do this, every other item that we've put on our resolution list, not just this, not just this year, but every year of your life, will be better as a result of this, will be greatly impacted just because you got closer to God. That's how you get a new life on the inside. If you feel like you're far from God, if you feel like your life's not working out, if you feel like you don't have that abundant life, you're too far from God, period. You just are. You're too far away from God. If you feel like you don't have a good marriage, this isn't rocket science, you're too far from your wife, you're too far from your husband. What do you mean? We live in the same house. Right, but you're here and you're turning your back on each other. It's not proximity. It's the heart. Are you turned away from each other or towards each other? Man, it's this way in every relationship there is, isn't it? If you've got a friend and, and you don't talk to him, then you're not close. And again, I know some of you are, are, are probably still you know, wrapping your eyes around this. You know that God's omnipresent. Uh, but listen, if you do not feel like God's near, then instead of spending all your time waxing theological, well, I know he's near because he's near. The Bible says he's everywhere. Start asking yourself, why would Scripture say draw near to God and he will draw near to you unless it was possible to be far away from God? It is possibly far away. You're just thinking proximity. Instead, think about your heart being far away. <clears throat> not physically far away. The second let us is found in verse 23 of chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Another uh, translation. <coughs> so 
Living Bible says, to the promises of God, for he who promised all the promises is faithful. You know what this is talking about? It's talking about this book. It's talking about the word of God. He's faithful when he makes promises. You know, I make promises. I make promises to my kids and stuff, and I don't keep all of them because I'm human. I try, but I can fail and often do fail. But you know what? God doesn't fail. When he makes a promise, he doesn't get nine out of 10. He gets 10 out of 10. And there's something else about this book, even though it's leather with pages. It's kind of wearing out and stuff, but this isn't an ordinary book, and you have to understand that. First and foremost, I mean, it's alive. It's a powerful, living book. The first chapter of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the word, logos, is the Greek word for word, and it's also a name for Jesus Christ. He is the Word, the Word is Him. So this book is alive and powerful. I'm not talking about like Harry Potter book. Wasn't there like a talking book in Harry Potter, a magical book that could talk? Don't pretend like you didn't see that evil series of Harry Potter. You saw, well, I'm not talking about that kind of, I'm talking about a real book that can change you because it's not my words. It's God's words, the Bible. If you really want change to take place, then you gotta realize this is no ordinary book. It's living. And the power you and I need to change is contained in the book itself. Contains the power for, think about it this way. This book contains the power for its own fulfillment. Isn't that cool? You know, a lot of books will say you need to do this or that over here and, and this will change your life. But this book says do this and within the book itself is the same power for the fulfillment. Everything you need in his words. Hebrews chapter four says it's living and active. I mean, I'm not saying this. God says this about his own word. It's not a dead book with dead words written thousands of years ago. It's a book that's alive, and if you were to live a thousand lifetimes, you would not plumb the depths of this book. It's eternal. Haven't you ever noticed how you can read the same chapter many times and get different things out of it? Haven't you ever noticed that? Haven't you ever noticed how you can read the same verse and keep getting things out of it? It just keeps going. It's alive. It's living. So if you want to change, you've got to get God's promises into your heart and mind each and every day. So, again, you got a choice. You can keep trying real hard and making resolutions and changing things on the outside. And for that, I would say knock yourselves out, but it's not going to work. If you want real transformation and change from the inside out, then step into a new covenant. Step into the inside out covenant, New Testament, change from the inside, and get close to God. Hold on to his promises. Then notice the next let us, verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Watch this. God's telling us the secret to our personal individual growth. The secret to our personal individual growth is reaching out to others. I mean, and here we have a lone ranger individualized culture. That just flies in the face of what our culture teaches us. Hey, do it yourself. If you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself. No one's gonna help you. You gotta help yourself. God helps those who help themselves. It's not even in the Bible. And yet this says if you wanna mature, it's like there's a power and there's a change. It gets turbocharged when you start looking at other people and helping them. And in fact, it's not like if you don't help others, you only change a little bit. Actually says if you don't help others, you don't change at all. You'll be stunted in your spiritual growth. You'll stop growing if you don't reach out and help others. So I guess, bluntly, a lot of you aren't growing because your faith has been self-focused. Your faith has just been about you. And if you want to see tremendous spiritual growth, you're going to have to make it about other people. You know, it's fascinating. Uh, the best cure for depression still, there's no drug on the market better than this. When you feel really down and broken and things are going on, the best thing you can do is not close the shades and get under the covers and make it real dark inside and, and cry and take medication. I mean, it's, it's like the worst thing you could do. The best thing you could do is open the shades and call somebody up who's hurting worse than you and go help them. I know it sounds crazy and counterintuitive and all that, but that will lift you up. Why? Because God says so. And by the way, if you've ever tried it, you already know that. You know that it's true. 
And finally, the last letters, verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. Listen, I'm pretty sure the Mayans blew it because 2012 was over. So we need to stop worrying about the Mayan calendar and the end of the world. But in seriousness, I kept, I've been thinking more in the last couple of months, probably than I have in just about any other time in my life, that I really do believe we are living in the last days. Not like the last 25 days, but just a generation that, you know, is spiraling so fast down. You know, everything about God. Who's the most attacked group in America now? I mean, it's almost comical if it wasn't so sad and threatening. You do anything Christian, anything remotely Jesus, and it just, it just attracts all kind of a persecution and attack. Anything with any other religion, any other thing, nothing. Nothing, even in schools. Anything. But you mention Jesus, you draw a picture of Jesus, you do anything, and it's just, it's going down. It feels like the spirit of Antichrist is on the increase. So I think the Mayans got it wrong, but I do think we're living in the last days. And he says, one of the worst things you can do in the last days is become a lone ranger and withdraw and stop meeting together with God's people. You ought to be doing it even more as the last days approach. Gang, you and I can't go it alone. And you'll never grow and never change if you leave others out of the process. So God's word is telling us that for some of us, the reason we haven't grown spiritually and not much life change has taken place is that we've left a key piece of the puzzle completely out of the equation. And by the way, it's not just talking about, you know, this gathering on Sunday, the bigger gathering. I think this is much more talking about what began in Acts chapter 2 with the first church, the gathering of smaller groups. It's something that started in Acts chapter 2, and it's not a gimmick. It's not like, well, you know, we didn't have real convenient places to meet, so we met in small groups, but as soon as we built the first church, everybody got rid of that. No, that was never meant to get rid of. I mean, think about this as sort of receiving your, your pep talk or your marching orders for the week coming up, but your life group and that smaller group is where real life change happens, where you guys really interact. And this is saying that. It was talking more about, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, and I think he's talking more about some people aren't meeting in the smaller groups and doing life together anymore. And they wonder why they're not growing. And he's saying this is one of the key reasons why people don't grow. Well, I've given you a lot of stuff, but I've pretty much repeated the same simple thing over and over again. So I want to show you something on the screen here in just a moment. And it's, it's a little bit lengthy, five, six minutes. But it's to give you time to let these words sink in. Believe it or not, if you leave here today and, and in any way, shape, or form, you start working on the outside again, Instead of allowing God to finish what he started, and by the way, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. All right, so when you're saved, he began a good work in you, so it's guaranteed it's gonna get completed. But you can stun it. He will be faithful to complete it, but you can turn your back on him and slow the process down. So I want you to really think, how am I approaching this new life I've got? Have I been trying to be religious? Have I been trying to follow rules? Have I been trying to impress people? Or have I allowed God to do things in my life? Once saved, you don't work to maintain the newness, but you do partner with God. It's a subtle thing. As he takes the newness, get this, on the inside and chisels the sin and bad habits away until what's left is a masterpiece. Take a look. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> But I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. 
Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh, why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh, okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. What well, gave it away? You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here. That would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Uh, what you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. <laughs> oh, that hurts. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Okay. And chisel away. But just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror. And I hate who I see. Because deep. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece.
I love that. So simple, but a real heartfelt way to see it. So what I want to do is one final thing, and this is really going to be quick. Sometimes I feel like we leave here with steps or even things just outlined, but not really application, things we can actually do. And, and I know this is a real subtle thing. It's almost dangerous today because we're talking about not doing things and yet allowing God to do things, and yet I'm going to give you a list. But it's really something that will help you think about how to practically apply the four let us statements. Because I gave you those let us statements, but maybe some of you are going, I don't really know practically how to do that. So let's close with four practical ways, questions you can ask yourself. Here's the first question. Am I worshiping intimately? Answer, you need to answer that. As far as drawing near to God, am I worshiping intimately? If God wants you to draw near to him, that's probably a fair question. Are you worshiping him? John 4.23 says, Yet a time is coming and has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that God seeks. You know what the word is for worshiper? I mean, here's a, here's a Greek thing right here. It's proskuneo, which I don't want you to remember. It doesn't really matter much, but it, it literally means to kiss. But it's not like a romantic kiss at all. It's not that type of kiss. And it's going to seem degrading whatever I hear. Please don't miss it for this. It's literal translation. The closest thing I can find to it is, again, how many people have dogs? Where are you again? Okay, when you come home, what does your dog do? Doesn't he go crazy? I mean, we've got three dogs. They all do the same thing in a different way. Even the one that's hateful and bites people and growls, when we come home, little Strider turns it. He will run around in circles. He will do a dog smile like this. And there's no growling that comes out. It's the actual smile. And he will jump up with his little paws until you pick him up and then he'll lick you all over the face. It's more like a dog's kiss. This unabandoned, I don't care what anybody thinks, I don't care how ridiculous I look. And believe me, you would look a little ridiculous if you ran around in circles every time somebody came home and just jumped and grabbed him and licked their face. That would be, but it's the, I don't care. I'm reaching out. And it's funny, when little Strider does that, I think of a different, I think about this context of the word worshiper with us and I think about how so many people come and you know up front we'll sing songs and we'll have worship and there's this whole idea of lifting holy hands to God and we struggle with it we don't even know how to do that you know I remember I, it's probably took I'm ashamed of it but probably, probably took me five years of my Christian life before I ever even lifted my hands because I used to think that was what the wackos did you know you don't lift your hands and you kind of worship like this and so it was a slow start I don't remember who the comedian is. There's a Christian comedian that talked about this. But I actually started that way. You know, you kind of start tapping your foot and start with one hand. Nobody can see. Make sure it's safe. And then what does he say? Hold the TV down here. This is holding your TV. And then field goal. Finally, you work your way up to this kind of thing. Well, this right here, holding holy hands to God and worshiping, do you know what it really is? It's that word, proskuneo. It's that, Daddy, pick me up. Hold me. This guy right here is about my height now. When he was one and a half, two years old, he'd, he'd come out to the uh, top of the stairs. Some of you have told me your kids did this too. And he would kind of rock back and forth and I'd be down there and he'd go, hold you daddy, hold you daddy. He hadn't kind of figured out the grammar of the whole thing. Because, and where'd he get that from? I'd be like, hey Nathan, can you get that? Do you want me to hold you? So he'd be like, hold you. Yeah, he wants me to hold you. And he'd be reaching out, hold you. That's how God, I'll probably pay for that for saying that. <laughs> but that's how God want you to approach him you know hold me heavenly father i, I want to I, I just want to bask in your in your love and your grace and your mercy instead some of us come in and we worship and i don't like the music it's too loud i what does will have a cold today what's up with that why didn't some pastor rob's coughing every five can't really work i mean what is the key word there i I, 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 and the way my dogs act, if they even could think of it, I, I don't think I is in their heads at that moment. I think it's me. And I'm not even worth it if they only knew. But they get real excited. That's the word. The neatest thing is James 4.8 is such a key thing. Come near to God and he will come near to you. If you just turn around, he's there. You want God to come near? He's already there. Turn around and he promises you'll see him and he'll embrace you. But he's leaving that decision up to you. Second thing is, am I feeding daily? Do not let this book of the law, Joshua 1.8, depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. You know what's awkward? 
Hollywood even uses what I'm about to say in romantic comedies over and over again. It, you know, it's good for a laugh. Blind dates. Blind dates. Why is it funny? Because there are so many potential pitfalls with people that don't know each other and pretend like they do. Try to act all relaxed. Try to, try to kind of go off with somebody and say things and, and it doesn't work and it backfires and it's embarrassing. For some of you, your relationship with Jesus, even though you've been a Christian for five or 10 or 15 years, you're still on a blind date. You don't really know him and you so you're trying things and it feels awkward and, and far away and you've never truly spent time with him repeatedly. Feeding daily, an analogy that's all through the Bible from Old Testament to New is reading his word. Remember, it's alive. It's a powerful book that's alive and living. Spend time in it. Again, married folks, you're not gonna be close to your wife or husband if you move to the other side of the world and say, listen, we got these rings, so that's magical. We're always gonna be close. Call you in 10 years. It, you're gonna be divorced. It doesn't work that way. You've gotta spend time getting to know each other. So it looks like feeding regularly in his word. And then am I serving faithfully? Remember the missing ingredient to spiritual growth? We have a ton of serving opportunities that impact church. I mean, we're a startup right now. We're church in a box. There's a ton of serving opportunities. We need people to serve. It says each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. I'm working on classes right now that will start up again. Our membership class, 101, spiritual habits class, 201, and then 301, which is discovering your spiritual gift. When you got saved, God put a spiritual gift within you. You need to use it. He shaped you for that gift. And then finally, am I connecting regularly? Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Some of you are thinking, I don't like uh, small groups because people find out, they get in my business, and you know, it doesn't really change me because you know, I'm, always, I'm always trying to act a certain way. Listen, part of it is gonna change you trying to act a certain way. It's gonna force you out of that. I mean, if, if you're hosting a small group and you're fighting with your wife or husband and they're coming over in 10 minutes or the house is a mess, you're going to say, we better stop fighting, better clean up, they're going to be here any minute, right? I mean, those people coming actually does make you work on things from the inside. And it may be hard at first, but that's the chiseling process. That I got to tell you, where you want to go can't happen without chiseling. It's funny, Michelangelo is an artist. I don't know how this works, but people used to ask him, how do you, how do you turn that block of marble into that, you know, King David, how do you do that? And he said, well, it's not, it's not that I'm turning that into that. It's already there, which unless you're an artist, that doesn't make any sense. He's just, I'm just bringing it out. Isn't that, well, that's what God's doing. He's already there. I'm just removing the stuff so I can bring David out of that. That's, and you got to admit, his stuff was beautiful and brilliant. So God says, it's already there. I made you a new creature. I'm chiseling away the junk now so everybody can see it and you can be used to build my kingdom. So am I connecting to others regularly? So here's what I want you to do. Practical thing. We're going to uh, pray in just a moment and have our time of giving back to God. And I want everybody, everybody to take the card that's on your seat right now. We're going to use it for something different in just a moment. If you have been connected with Impact Church for a while and you've never gotten into a life group, then you need to get in one. Hopefully I presented that and made real sense of it today. You no longer need to be the guy, well, unless I'm leading it or unless I'm the guy, I don't. You need to be in one. Everybody's got the same thing. These lettuces are for everyone. There's no exceptions. So what I want you to do is just write on there, I would like to know more information about a life group. And then we, we will get back to you. What you're going to do when the offering red baskets are passed, you're going to drop that card in there. So every one of you should be dropping a card in. What if you're already in a life group? Drop it in anyway. Let us know you're here. Use it as attendance. And the second thing is, if you're not serving anywhere, write on there, or both, uh, I would like more information about blank, you know, ministry. I'd like more information about greeting. I'd like more information about the praise team. I'd like more information about working in production, more information about preaching so I can preach instead of that guy. Whatever you want to put down there, but, but more information about it. That's a start, right? That's a start. We have plenty of availability in all these areas, but you need to reach out and you need to ask. Again, I, I mean, if you forget everything else that I said today, 
But remember what I'll, I'll say for the third time now, then, then you'll get it. If you want, this to be the, you want this to be the best year of your life, if it's the best year of your life spiritually, it'll be the best year of your life. Let's pray. Father, receive these tithes and offerings, Lord. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your chiseling even when it's painful, Lord. And God, often it is. Lord, I thank you that in some mysterious way that even though there's sin and, and even though there's the evil one who tries to bring pain and sorrow into our lives, there's nothing he can throw at us that you can't use to make us better. Good things, bad things, neutral things, Lord. You're the great carpenter chiseling away, the great sculptor, Lord. Help us to open our lives and, and sort of like the video that we saw, Lord, just make us willing to be molded and and crafted by you so that the masterpiece that you saved us to be could be revealed. Lord, we know that we won't be completely changed on not just the inside but the outside too until we see you face to face, but we also know that your word talks about a process that begins the moment we're saved called sanctification where the chiseling makes us more and more and more like your son Jesus Christ so that others may be led to you through us. Lord, help us to know and understand that Christian's not just a word. It means little Christs, little Jesuses. Pray that all the people at Impact, the Impact family, we would be representatives of you that can clearly show light on you in your word, Father. People will look at the people of Impact and see you and want what we have. I pray that people will be humble and, and open and willing and put their cards in, Father, and we get back to them and plug a lot more people in so they see life change an impact not only on themselves but on the world. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. See you next week.